Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. So what did I talk about last week? This is my favorite time because then I can see how engaged you actually were. So what was the topic of my message last week? <laughs> Paulette. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, kind of. Influence, yeah. Going, being influencers, right? Do you remember that now? Does that tweak? Ring a bell? Okay. We're firing? <laughs> We're close. I was close. <clears throat> um, one of the things that I was thinking about this week is that it's one thing to give a challenge about how to influence the world and how to become a better influence. But it's also, it, that's, that's one side. But the other side is like, how do we do that? And I didn't really get into, into, the, into that aspect of how do we as Christian people, as lovers of Jesus, as believers, actually influence the world around us? And I got me thinking, and I want to give you just a couple, some practical ways this morning of how we as a house of hope, as a family, can actually influence our world around us. And I really believe that the, the, the basis of how we become influencers is that our homes actually have to become centers of God's presence. Let's look at Acts 2. And this kind of, um, Acts 2 gives the basic basis of what, what, these, what this looks like. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory back with what's happening here. This is Acts 2. So, technically speaking, or on a, on a timeline, um, every chapter in the book of Acts is about one year. If you want to say like the first chapter is the beginning, second chapter you're about two years into after the after the ascension and after the the Pentecost after Pentecost, and they roughly theologians say every chapter is is about a year. And so Acts chapter two, you're looking at about two years into the life of the believers in Jerusalem, um, and Peter is 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 there, and, and all the, the apostles are there, and they're doing their thing, and the church is growing. And why was the church growing? Just somebody throw out reasons why the church was growing at that point. Anyone? Why was the church growing in this period? I don't know. Yeah, but how? Like, what practically was happening? What were they doing that the church was growing. Sorry? They were getting together. Okay. What else? Signs, wonders, and miracles. Bottom line. So Jesus says, you know, if you, if you are a believer in me, these signs will follow. That they'll raise the sick, they'll raise the sick and heal the dead. Same thing. <laughs> Cast out demons. So Peter was preaching... Um, and he gave, he gave a, 
an amazing message on what happened, why Jesus was here, and and how they could come to the Messiah. And in, in, in verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were crushed, and they realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, What do we need to do, brothers? And Peter replied, Repent and turn to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the Anointed One, and have your sins removed. Then, as you take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit, for God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families, for you yet to be born, and to everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, Be rescued from wayward in the perverse culture of this world. Those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. And they were all baptized and added to the church. Now, when you read that and it says they were baptized and added to the church, we think of the church in our, it's like, wow, we went from House of Hope to being a church of about 100 to being about 3,000. That's how we would translate it in, in because of the filters that we have. But added to the church that day, the church wasn't a place of worship. That was the tabernacle, and it hit the temple, and it hadn't been destroyed yet. But the church was the body of believers in Jerusalem, and they would meet in various homes. And the church was the ecclesia, the, 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 the gathering, the, the entirety and so 3,000 people heard Peter's message, were, were, were convicted, and there was probably a whole lot of supernatural going on. There was probably a whole lot of, of healings going on. And there was this sense of, wow, this, there's, there's power encounters, fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit, and people turned to Jesus because they realized it's something. They realized that their life was meaningless without him. And Peter used some amazing words, and they said, and we just read it, and they were crushed, and they were like, they were held, but then they were convicted. And what does repent mean when he says, and they repented? What does repent mean? Kind of, but it's, it's the repent, it's, it's getting higher, it's get, seeing your life through God's eyes, and then changing. It's like viewing, you know, so it's not just standing up and turning 180 degrees. It's, it's getting God's heart on a situation. They were convicted and they repented because they realized who God was, his love for them, and they changed because they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, every, in verse 42, it says, And every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed any miraculous signs and wonders. <coughs> Excuse me. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared one another with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's home to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. 
This is, this is amazing to me because they met in, in homes. These were called like homes of Acts. It was like literally a home that was so filled with God's presence that the, 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 the church would come together. Those 15 or 20, we don't know how many were in each home. It doesn't really matter. The fact is that these homes were filled with the presence of God and that change happened within them. And I want to propose to you today that in order for us to become world changers, in order for us to become influencers in our city, our homes have to be that kind of a bastion of the presence of the Lord. And we raise up our families in this atmosphere so that they are changed. There's always been this fear that, you know, that we have to protect our kids from the world because, because they're just, they're going to get seduced. They're going to get seduced into evil. You know, when, I, when, the, when our kids were young and people were talking to us about schools, you don't want to send your cool kids. Bleh. You don't want to send your kids to a public school because they're just going to get eaten up alive. And so we sent them to a Christian school. And what happened at the Christian school? They got eaten up alive anyway. Because the attitude, the heart, is different. The heart has to be one that is connected to the Lord. We raised our kids... Deanna and I raised our kids in, in an atmosphere of the supernatural. All of our kids knew about Jesus. They all knew and they experienced healing. They experienced supernatural provision. And we shared that with them all throughout their lives. So I had no fear later on. I had no fear of my kids, you know, going, doing weird stuff because they're grounded in the presence. Now, does that mean they make bad choices and stuff? Well, absolutely. That's part of growth. That's part of who we are. We make bad choices, and hopefully we learn from them. But I never once feared because of an atmosphere that the atmosphere would influence them is because they are influencing the atmosphere. I've heard of families that actually moved away because there was no Christian alternative for school because of fear. I'm going to get into fear later. But if we actually have our homes as a center for where the Holy Spirit is in our lives, and out of that is an encounter, you cannot counter an encounter with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> our experience trumps head knowledge. If, if, if my arm was cut off and, and, we, and somebody prayed for a new arm... And it, my arm grew back, and someone tried to tell me that God wasn't real, and healing is not for today. What do you think? What would trump? Not trump, but what do you think? What would trump? What would trump that? My experience or their te- their testimony? My experience. It's always our experience that's going to trump ex- um, understanding. And sometimes we don't understand how God works. We don't understand, but we do know that God is real because we've experienced him for ourselves. I don't think we would be sitting here today if we hadn't had some form of encounter with the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Excuse me. If we wouldn't have had some sort of encounter with the Holy Spirit to draw us into into, into his presence. And I think as, as influencers in this city and in, as influencers in the kingdom, what would it be like if when people walked into our homes that their marriage was healed or that their body was healed or that demons actually left? 
because, because we actually have homes that are so filled with the presence of God and so filled with the love of each other and filled with the experience and the testimony of what God has done in each of our individual homes that change just has to happen. See, that's what was going on in the early church. And I'm not, I'm not promoting, 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 proposing that we go back to that because that's just, that was the form then. It wasn't the key to the, to the church. It was just what they had then. But there was something, there was a heart aspect of what happened in the early church that we need to grasp. And that was the heart attitude. Everything about the kingdom is that we don't want to copy and paste ideas, but we want to take heart, idea, heart change and say, the heart of this matter was this. And for us, I really do believe that it's understanding what it means to be a house of acts, a house of change, a house of influence. Our house of hope is becoming a house of influence in the city as we are becoming known for supernatural. We are becoming known for the presence. We're becoming known for our generosity. And it's changing. But in order for us to become families again, or even to be more connected, this is an aspect that I really believe that we have to grasp onto. See, the miraculous then was normal. Do you remember the story that, I think it was Peter, he was in jail. And there was a home group going on and they were praying and they were praying and they were praying for Peter to get out of jail. And then Peter got out of jail and he ended up at the house and he's knocking at the door. And the girl answered the door and she screamed because she thought it was Peter's angel. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of like, that's weird. But what that tells me was angelic visitations were normal because their angels were showing up all the time. Oh, hey, you're not Peter, but you're his angel. I don't think she was overreacting. I think there was actually encounters going on at the time that it was normal. And then they look and they're like, no, it's Peter. Right? For us as the 21st century North American church, that's weird. Because we don't have angelic encounters like that. We don't. But... I believe that that is actually normal, and we should be. And I'm not going to go anymore, but it, it's these, these aspects of, of raising up our families. And if you're, if you're older like, um, like us and our kids are older, or if you're seniors and your kids are gone, you still have a place in being a, a house of influence. It, it, time, age doesn't matter. It's the heart that counts. Each of our homes can be a place where the presence of the Lord is so strong and it goes out from there. One of the aspects, too, of, of being a house of influence is that there's no hierarchy in who can or who cannot minister. See, the way that the kingdom is set up is that the believers in Jesus do the work of the ministry. It doesn't matter. Like, you still have, in, in, the old, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, you still had levels of pastors and teachers and apostles and all those things, but everyone, it's very clear, everyone is allowed to pray for the sick. Everyone, men, women, children, were allowed to pray for the sick, to heal, heal, raise the dead, 
cast out demons. It is not sub, it's not relegated to those in charge. I don't know if you have ever noticed this, but in Revelation, um, Revelation 2.6 and in Revelation 2.15, there's two different churches. And um, in Revelation 2.6, the Lord is um, praising the particular church. I forgot to write it down. They're pra- he's praising them because they, he, they did not give in or, or tie in to the belief of what was called the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans was a sect of believers that come against the, the, the ministry of what we call the presbytery, or of all believers, the ministry of believers. They said you have to be set up in a hierarchy, and it's only the leaders that could do all the things that Jesus did. And, and, and God specifically said in this that you don't put up with their teaching. And then in 2.15... He, he condemns that particular church because they're tying in with the Nicolaitans. So you had two churches in Revelation. One was he's praising because he says, you are embracing the kingdom and the ministry of all believers. And then the other one says, you're wrong because you've actually embraced the false teachings of this guy. See, it's God's heart that we all be ministering. It's God's heart and it's his purpose for us that we all do the works of the kingdom. We are all ambassadors. We are all, we are all called. Our destiny is to engage with non-believers, love on them, and see them brought into the kingdom. That's our destiny. How we do that is up to our personal character, our gifts, what we're called to do, how we do it. If you're an evangelist, then you, you just have a heart for the lost all the time. If you're a pastor, you just want to take care of what you have. If you're apostolic, you just want to set up structures and people to, to do it. If you're a teacher, you want to teach on how to do it. Did I miss one? But the point is, we all have to be part of that. We all have a part to play in what God is calling us to, to be influencers. One of the biggest <clears throat> tools or attributes that we need is courage. For us to do what God has called us to do, we need courage. We also need persistence. We need to be persistent in what God has called us to do. How many of us have felt that God has called us to do something and then we... We do it, but there's opposition, and we stop because of fear. So courage isn't, isn't, courage is a response to fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's the response to actually embracing what God has called us to do and being in his presence. That's what courage is. Courage isn't the opposite of fear. Fear, I believe, is, will, will be present, is always present, but what we clothe ourselves in will protect us from that. I'm going to go into that a little bit more. So if we look, let's look in our Bibles if you have them or your iPad. I want to look at Joshua 1. There's some really good parallels to becoming powerful homes and powerful influencers in our city, in our, in our world. 
So Joshua 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fair forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's a lot in this. <laughs> you remember who Moses was? He was a friend of God. He was known as, as a friend of God. He was known as a man who was actually speaking. He spoke. The Bible says he spoke mouth to mouth with God. There was this interaction of breath between Moses and God. He, was, he, he had an encounter with, with the burning bush. He had an encounter with God face to face, and he was changed. And he, was, he rose up. God raised him up to be a leader to take 1.1, 2, or 5 million. They, you know, between 1 million and 1.5 million people to lead them out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea. And he, he did this as a friend. And yet, he wasn't allowed in to the promised land. Do you remember why? A bad attitude. There's something more. It's just like that's that's a that's a right answer. He had a bad attitude. He was disobedient. But there's something deeper into this. Joshua. God commanded and said to Joshua, "I'm going to give you everything I promised to Moses." I'm going to be with you like I was Moses. That's kind of weird because Moses couldn't get in. But there was something deeper that God had promised Joshua, and it was be strong and courageous. You've ever wondered why Sorry. Ask the question First of all, I'm going to make a statement. God, God empowered Moses to take the people out of Israel, but he couldn't take them into the promised land. He empowered, his process was that of a deliverer in Egypt, but the process to take them into the promised land was Joshua's because I believe that it's a picture 
of our journey with Jesus. Let me, let me, let me just set, um, do you remember the transfiguration? Do you remember what happened in the transfiguration? It's a term. It's, it's in Matthew 17. You can look there. I won't read it. But basically, it's when Jesus went up the mountain and Peter, James, and John were with Peter. And they go up. Jesus goes up the mountain. And all of a sudden, um, there was lightning and thunder. And, and who showed up with Jesus? Moses and Elisha. Okay, so earlier in the, in the Gospels, it says the law and the prophets were what? Until John. So Jesus is saying the law and the prophets were until John. And then all of a sudden you have, later on, you have the transfiguration where Jesus is standing on the mountain with the law and the prophets. And Jesus actually, they, he, and it says Jesus fulfilled, Jesus came to fulfill what? The law and the prophets. And so the transfiguration was significant because, it, you know, he, it wouldn't have been the same if David showed up on the mountain because David was part of a different covenant. But you had Jesus fulfilling the law of Moses and then fulfilling the prophets, and Elijah was the chief prophet. Everything, like, Elijah was the one prophet that everybody remembers. And so Jesus fulfilled that, so he met with them. Now, the reason that Moses couldn't go into the promised land is because the law can take you out of captivity, but it can't lead you into your destiny. The law, Moses, had to stop, and then Joshua, and the, the Hebrew name for Joshua is Joshua, but the Greek name for Joshua is what? Yeshua, Jesus. So you have the law can totally take you out of darkness and slavery, and it leads you. It gives you an understanding of the of your of who you are and what you're not. It, but it can't take you any farther. So Jesus shows up. Joshua shows up in the Old Testament and leads the people through the river. So the first thing that happened was Moses took the people out. They crossed the what sea? The Red Sea. They had, it's, it's symbolic of blood. So they had to cross through on dry land, but they passed through the blood in the sense it's a picture, it's a type, it's a shadow of the blood of Christ. They crossed through, and then Jesus takes over, and when Joshua took over the, the children of Israel to cross in, he says, you're going to cross the Jordan, but the priests have to be wet. The priests stood in the river, and when they crossed, the priests actually took on, and that's an encounter, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound cool? Like, is that, like, like it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, that it's a picture. Like, it's like God was writing the Gospels through the sands of time in the, in the, from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's a type and a shadow of who Jesus is. And it's, it's for us as a people to understand that if we are focusing on the law, we will never enter our destiny because fear reigns there. What is the one thing that kept the children of Israel out of their promised land for 40 years? Anyone? Fear. Exactly. It was fear. It was unbelief. It was fear that took them. And, but they needed that encounter with the Holy Spirit. They needed that encounter to actually say no. And that's why Joshua was chosen, right? Because he went into the promised land 40 years. And he goes, this is awesome. 
Him and Caleb, wasn't it? Joshua and Caleb, right? They went in and they go like, this is easy. Like, look at the fruit. They looked at the fruit. They didn't look at the fight. The other guys looked at the fight and they're like, heck no. But they're like, there's grapes the size of my arm, right? And, his, his, and so Joshua was able, because his mindset, his heart, was set to take the people into their destiny, into, their, into who God had called them to be. <coughs> Just trying to catch up on my notes, see if I'm missing anything. So when you come out of Egypt, you come out of your old man and you get baptized through Jesus' blood. And then there's another baptism coming in and that's when they crossed into the Jordan. It's this baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you that empowerment, gives you that focus that once the Holy Spirit can, takes you out of who you are and it doesn't make sense. Once the Holy Spirit baptizes you, you're, you are empowered to to do the things that God has called you to do. Because out of that, in the Holy Spirit, there is no law. There's no law of Moses, right? So when, when Joshua took the, took the Israelites out, they actually had to pass through three cities. The first city that they had to pass through was the city called Adam. And this is, I believe, is symbolic in our journey that as we leave our old man behind, we actually, we're, we're saying no. We're actually embracing who we are. We're embracing who Jesus is. We're embracing the Holy Spirit, but we're leaving the old away. That's why Paul says, like, you're a new creation. When you come to Christ and you're baptized and you're in the Holy Spirit, you become a new creation. Your old man has passed away. So this is symbolic for them passing through the city of Adam. Then the next city that they actually walked through and conquered was sin, was the city of sin. Fascinating. So we need to leave our sin nature behind. And there's so much debate in, in Christianity today whether or not we still have a sin nature. I believe we don't. We don't. That nature has actually been killed in Christ. Do we sin? Yes, but it's not our nature. We can talk about that later. But. And then finally, the, city, the third city that they walked through was the city of Gilgal. Anybody know the, the, the definition or what the meaning of that name Gilgal is? It means to be circumcised of heart. We, before going on to our promised land, we have to receive a new heart. We have to be cut away, the old stuff. And so nothing of the old is actually brought into the promised land. And what is our promised land? Well, it's going to be our destiny. It's what we're placed on the earth for. It's not riches. That can be. But it's, it's people. It's, it's extending the kingdom. That's our destiny. And so for an order for us as a people of God to be able to go into our destiny, we have to deal with our old man. We have to break ourselves of sin. And we have to have a new heart. And that's why the homes in, the, in Acts, where they had a new understanding of freedom, they had a new understanding, their, their hearts were changed. And their hearts would focus on what God was doing and not what, what he wasn't. And that's where there was influence. There was 3,000 added. And then at the end of that chapter 2 where I read, it's like, and, 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 and they were added to their numbers daily. 
You see, fear, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> when we allow fear to dominate what our destiny is, we give it up. How many here have desires of things that they believe that God has called them to do? Okay, so there's about 12 of you. I believe what's holding us back is fear. Because fear will always camp around the thing that you're called to do. Always. Now, in the last few years, I, I tend to, I teach a lot, I, I share a lot, and opportunities come and go. And when I first started, when we first started House of Hope, I wasn't used to preaching every Sunday, I wasn't used to as much as I'm doing. And I, I totally believe, still do, that God had called, called us to, to lead House of Hope and to, to do what we're called to do. And and I turned to Deanne one day, and this is early on, and we were still in the Alpen house, and, and I said to her, um, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And she says, well, why not? I said, like, i got to preach every Sunday. And she's like, well, you got a big mouth. You can do it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just, and I was getting anxious. I was getting just, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, I had, uh, I need to go back and listen to some of the original messages because I know they're gotten better (laughs) but I was full of anxiety and Deanne said to me she says well has God called us to do this or not and I said well yeah I I he he has she says well then you just need to do it (laughs) I know it's like well thank you very much and so I remember I don't remember clearly but I remember the first few Sundays it was we started meeting weekly in September and I would hack out 15, 20 minutes of something the Lord was showing me. And you know what happened? Was I nailed it. Because he showed up. And I persevered. And I pressed in. And I learned. Was I still full of anxiety? Yes. But I found when I was just do it and suck it up, basically like Deanne said, just suck it up and do it. Either you're called to do something or you're not. And if you're called, he's with you. Because Joshua says, and, and, and this word is still for us today, it says, you will be prosperous and successful. I have not commanded you, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, it's, it's right there. But we allow fear to dominate. Well, I can't. And we think, and it's this, it's, I don't know if it's our culture today, but I honestly believe that there's something that has seeped into this socio-culture, whatever the word is, um, generations that say, if you have opposition, it must be not of God. And, and it, that to me is just a huge lie. All throughout my life, if, it's, if it comes really easy, there's something wrong. And that's not a negative. But the more we have to fight and persevere and mostly get through the things that in our own hearts, when we get through that, we conquer. 
We're courageous. That's why I say courageous. Being courageous is simply enveloping ourselves into who he is, not the problem around us. So if God has called you to do something, I, you know, it's like, um, I'm going to pick on Kaya. Because Kaya is an amazing woman. And she's got an incredible destiny on her. And a few years ago, she comes to me and she says, I want to do this, but I'm afraid. And I said, you should just do it. Do you remember? You probably don't remember. I said, you just need to do it. And she says, yeah, but I just, I have to go to the, I, 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 get, I get ill. I, you know, I think it was youth group or something. And you were, oh. And it was something that God had put on her heart. And she did it. And for a season, she led an amazing youth group here. But every week, it was the same thing. I just don't think I can do it. But she did it. And she changed hearts. And she, she impacted youth for that season. It was amazing. Just because there's opposition to something doesn't mean that we have to give up. It just simply means that we have to take God what he said for what he said and clothe ourselves. What did the angel say to Gideon when he was hiding in the wine press making bread? Yeah. Yeah. Be strong, man of courage. And then it says the Holy Spirit basically put him on like a glove. So the Holy Spirit fit Gideon. Here's Gideon. Here's the Holy Spirit. Surrounded Gideon and used Gideon. And so he, and he, was, he became a man of courage. He became a man of known. And he's known now not for hiding, but for leading the armies. What, is our, what area in our life do we want to seek forward momentum in, but we can't because there's this big old dog of fear guarding what our destiny is? How do we become homes of influence in Cranbrook? Is we don't give in to that fear. We, we take a step and we, we go, no, no, no I'm, you, you're gone. And we use what, we, what Chris Vallotton calls as the power of ignore. He says, you know, he was, he was assaulted for years with demons. Wake up in the night and the demon would be shaking his bed and he'd be like, <clears throat> and he was tormented for years. And he finally, he prayed to the Lord, and he says, Lord, how do I deal with this? What do I do? And the Lord says, turn over and ignore him. And so he goes, huh. The next night, demon shows up, shaking his bed, filling the room with, with oppression. Chris opens up his eyes, looks, he goes, oh, it's you. And he turns over, and the demon never came back. Martin Luther had a similar um, encounter. He says, Satan comes, Satan regularly comes to my bedroom at night. So I fart and turn over. <laughs> and he goes, it's, it's Martin Luther, he's a hoot. Same concept, power of ignore. We need to embrace our destiny, what God has called us, and not look at the fear. So what are you called to do? What are you called to, to do in your life? What brings joy to you? What, what ignites you? What, when you think of this, if you, know, if, you could, if, if you could do anything, what would you be doing? And how many of you are doing it? And I would, I, would, I would lay money down that most of you aren't doing what God has called you to do because of fear. Fear is the most socially accepted sin in the church today because it holds us back. 
and we don't even realize it. So it's time to become people who are strong and courageous, who do not let fear influence their decisions, but they go forward and they become these homes of influence, these homes of acts, homes that are centered on Christ and they're raising their family in the presence of God and there's experiences and the children have experiences in the Holy Spirit to say, I, you can't change my mind. I saw I saw my parents come through a financial struggle and God provided. I saw my mom and my dad pray for each other and healing happened. I got healed. All three of my kids have been healed at some point in their life supernaturally. All three of my kids have observed the Holy Spirit and the Father providing financially when, something, when, when we just couldn't do it. And it's those testimonies that are going to hold them to when they start to develop their own testimonies. And, and that's happening now. I remember when Andrew was, was going to Cambodia and he had, I think he, it was a $4,500 trip two years ago, and I think he had $1,000 and he needed 20, uh, what's the math, $3,500. And he goes, Dad, I just don't know how this is going to be. I know that I'm called to go. And I said, okay, let's pray. And we prayed together on FaceTime. I'm here, he's in Reading. I put a post on Facebook and I said, hey guys, this is just, I did a face." live, whatever. I said, my son needs some help. Put that out there. And within, I think it was within five days, the entire $3,500 came in from various sources. And it wasn't me because I didn't have it. But we partnered together with the Holy Spirit and we would not allow fear to enter into the conversation. And now today, Andrew, he goes, if God says something, he goes, yeah, it's going to happen. His faith is like solid when it comes to provision and finances because his experience said God provides, period. These are the testimonies that we need to start developing in our own families and sharing with our kids. Sharing with our kids are tough times. I never once held back from with our kids of of some of the stuff that Deanna and I had to go through in the years because it strengthened them because it showed them that we're actually hanging on to something greater than the, oper- the circumstances around us. And it's not too late. Courage is necessary for us to push through the attacks that the enemy sends our way. Because they will be there. The attacks will be there. The courage, being strong and courageous, is way easier than, than death to fear. Because that's what happens. If we, don't, if we give in to fear, we die. Hard word, I know. But it's true. So, I think I'm done. At least, I have nothing at the end of my notes. So, I'm going to read this one more time. I'd like you to stand. And I want to read this as a declaration, as a prophetic declaration over you from the Father. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead your family to inherit the land that I gave 
to your forefathers. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong (coughs) and courageous. You will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you to become strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For I, the Lord your God, will be with you whenever, wherever you go. So, Father, I pray that as you reignite points of destiny in each person's heart, as you give them clues to where they're going, that this declaration over them would become forefront in their mind and that no matter what the road is ahead of them, they would embrace courage. They would walk in strength and they would not allow fear to dominate any area of their lives. And we just speak to fear now and we say your voice is silenced in the presence of the Father. And Holy Spirit, enrobe each person with strength and courage. Courage, In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.